date, Monday, January eighth, two thousand one. From Betty Yu. Subject: Betty Who. Hi, Jay. It's Betty, the one who used to hang out in your apartment on Channing all the time, but rarely when you were there. I don't know how you managed to escape from me all those months. I've been fascinated by your travels, and Colin throws me a bone every once in a while and forwards me one of your emails. I've read two so far. In the first, you were crossing the border of Cambodia in your flip-flops, and in the second, you had progressed to parting with drag queens in Thailand. I think I'm missing a few events in the middle, but I can't be sure. Well, you mentioned that you'd like to see some friends in the next few weeks, and I just wanted to see if you'd be interested in checking out Taiwan with Colin and me at the end of January. We'll be there from January twenty-third to February second, and we can offer free housing, free food, free tour guides, and company, which will cost you a small fee. It'd be great to see you. I know Colin misses you a lot, and what could be more surreal than a reunion in the Republic of China? We'll be staying mostly with my grandparents, who actually speak fluent Japanese, and I'm sure would love meeting you. I hope this email finds you well and gives you enough time to make plans to meet us. I will assist in any way possible. Look forward to possibly seeing you in Taiwan. Love, Betty. Date Wednesday, January tenth, two thousand one. From Jay Schneider to Betty Yu. Subject: Betty who? Betty. Hmm. You're that tall African man I met in France, right? Glad to hear from you, and hope you're getting used to life with one leg. Ugh, now I've screwed myself. How do I make the transition into seriousness? I can, of course, use the old "but seriously." But I hesitate to use that because it implies that I think what preceded it was so brilliant and hilarious. <sighs> how did life get so complicated? Anywho, funny how the world works. I was actually thinking of you, yes, you, Miss Betty, yesterday while on a train. I know, I know. I'll give you a bit of time to recover from the fact that in the midst of my wild life of pure adventure and excitement, you've missed out on shaven heads, donut-stealing monkeys, toe-stomping camels, and erotic temple carvings in between Cambodia and the gay bars of Bangkok. I would have time to think of little old you, but I did. Now that you've recovered from the initial feelings of joy and elation. Your feelings are probably rapidly turning to those of fear, wondering why would Jay be thinking of me? Is he plotting some revenge for something I did long ago and far away, which he can neither forgive nor forget? Okay, I'll explain. On a train in Malaysia, I see a group of people signing—not autographs, but communicating with their hands—and a train of thought. <laughs> train is <laughs> on a train. A train of thought brought you to mind. As I turned to my travel partner, I said. I knew someone who was fluent in American Sign Language, this tall African one-legged man I met in France. But seriously, the timing's a bit off, as I've set so many wheels in motion, which would make heading to Taiwan oh so difficult and complicated. Where were you a week ago when I absolutely had no clue as to which direction to go? But but but, I am seriously going to consider it because I'd love to see you guys, and it would be a great chance to get there. I'll think about it over the next few days and figure out whether I can make it a reality. We'll contact again soon. 
Rabid Monkey, over and out. P.S. I'll add you to my mailing update so you won't have to depend on the bone throwing from Colin. Also, back issues are available upon request. Welcome back to all of you great members of the J-Luck Club, presented as always by Honey Roasted T-Shirts. Speaking of the J-Luck Club, this is it, dear listeners. We made it. We did it. This is the episode where I read the email I wrote 20 years ago, which I thoughtfully titled The J-Luck Club. Yes, the subject line which would two decades later launch the very audio journal to which you are now listening. Without that witty subject line, this podcast may never have happened. Or if it had, you'd be listening to a podcast called A Bunch of Emails I Wrote 20 Years Ago. Which, come to think of it, is an interesting title. Hmm, maybe I'll pass that on to Honey Roasted T-Shirts and do a domain check to see if that's available. But that's not my point. Maybe those emails and these stories would have fought on to live in some other form, but then there would be no club at all. Just recipients. And if you weren't a recipient of those emails, but listening to the A Bunch of Emails I Wrote 20 Years Ago podcast, you'd just be listeners or subscribers. But no, folks, you are members of a club. The J-Luck Club. Oh, didn't realize you were a member? Well, if you are listening to this podcast now, if you can hear my voice, or if you've bought or streamed the Dollbot Diddy, Dollbot, available on Apple Music, Amazon, Spotify, or wherever you get your music, then you most certainly are a member in great standing. Don't forget to check out honeyroastedtshirts.com for more pictures and extras, or thejlockclubpodcast.com for all episodes. Or never worry about missing an episode by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon, whatever works for you. And if you enjoy it, please leave a review. I'd like to take a quick moment and say thank you to all the new members to the club. I've been getting some nice comments and feedback, and I really do appreciate your coming along with me on this journey. As always, I am Jay, and the luck is all mine to have you as members of this club, as I remember and share some of my memories of a trip I took 20 years ago, using emails, journal entries, and a shaky memory to reconstruct the happenings of those days on the road. Some of the more observant of you may have noticed I snuck in a part one to this episode. Those of you who have been with me from the beginning, and if you haven't, I encourage you to listen to the previous episodes, or you may find me wrapping you the Cliff's Notes version to catch you up. Anyway, those of you who have been listening from the beginning have noticed my episode length has slowly been creeping up and up. I have no strict limits and rules, but I know it's a large chunk of time to take out of your busy days and lives, and I want to be careful not to abuse the trust you place in me especially after I've had a bad run of promising the episode would be shorter, but then ended up going long again. Anyway, I had a lot to cover in this email, and I figure I had two doubleheader episodes that were dedicated to two emails. Episode 6 and 7, check them out. And so if that were the case, I could have two episodes dedicated to a single email. So that's what I did. See, I have no strict limits or rules above. But let's get back to my story. 
In our last episode, after spending a couple of weeks relaxing in a familiar country, Thailand, with familiar faces, Chuck and Ava, I decided to temporarily set aside my independent solo traveler ways and, and try out traveling with a partner, Julie. And we decided to hop a train south for Malaysia. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. Probably best for me to let the J of 20 years ago tell it. I take you now to an internet cafe in Singapore. Date, Friday, February 2nd, 2001. From Jay Schneider. Subject, the J-Luck Club. Let's pause for a second. The J-Luck Club. This update was made possible in part by Kenny Rogers, Amy Tan, and Dan Pachoto. When we last left our hero, I was about to board a train south to Malaysia with a beautiful Dutch woman. So how did I end up in Taiwan on a nostalgic journey into a Chinese girl's past and also become a Mahjong champion? And how do I manage to have my cake and eat it too? That's what I hope to explain in this hastily written update entitled The Jayla Club. Almost immediately from our Bangkok departure, I was glad to have Julie as a travel mate. It's great to have a partner, not only for the company, but it's easier to deal with the rigors and hassles of travel. For instance, while one person watches all the bags, the other is free and mobile to search for bus tickets, accommodations, etc. It was also nice having late-night chat sessions when we felt like Kenny Rogers and the gambler. Because, you know, they were both too tired to sleep. And it doesn't hurt when your partner in crime is stunningly attractive. After hanging out on the islands and then spending ten, yes, ten, days in Bangkok, we both agreed it felt good to be on the road again. Okay, that's Willie Nelson, not Kenny Rogers. I know. Sometimes it feels good to strap on your pack, new day, new town, running for the next bus, being on the go, and this was our plan for the next two weeks. So after training our way to Butterworth, catching two buses to get to the Cameron Highlands town of Tanarata, we promptly dumped our bags and stayed for a week. Not that it was a bad decision. We arrived close to midnight, well after dark, in a strange town we knew nothing about. We were at the mercy of the handful of touts who met the bus. We put our trust in Gil, a bald-headed man with a goatee, who resembled a Malaysian Mr. Clean. It wasn't long ago that I shared both his profession and his hairstyle, so I felt perhaps we were in kindred spirits. We made the right choice. He took us to the guest house where he lives, a hilltop place at which the owner, Mr. Lee, makes breakfast every morning. Tea was free all day, and there was a stack of late 80s women's magazines in the living room. The homey atmosphere and perhaps my need to catch up on Cosmo, I missed the June 87, tips to catch and keep your man, as well as the May 1989, lose the weight and look hot at the beach this summer issues, gave us no desire to rush out of Tanarata, so we didn't. The mornings, well, the ones we didn't sleep through anyway, usually gave us great views of the surrounding hills and tea plantations. We were in no rush sitting outside with other guests, drinking endless cups of tea, while I searched for my name on L's Top 10 Men of the Year. We filled the afternoons with walks and hikes in the surrounding jungle hills, and a visit to the local tea plantation. It was still the rainy season, so sometimes our outdoor adventures got a little muddy, or we'd simply retreat to Mr. Lee's and Seventeen magazine. And it wasn't a bad place to spend my birthday, either. Of course, I have no wild and crazy stories of red-light variety to tell, but it was a mellow, relaxing way to spend an otherwise insignificant birthday. By that I mean 27 is not much of a landmark as, say, 1621, or in the case of Julie, 30, 
which brought her to tears a few weeks prior. Gil played me happy birthday on the guitar as we sat around a midnight campfire, and I awoke to a birthday cake which Julie and Dom, a British bloke and four-month resident of Mr. Lee's, managed to scrounge up. It was a good place to reflect on my past year and look ahead to the coming one. Via email, my mother was kind enough to refuse to wish me a happy birthday on the grounds that it seems like every day is my birthday. I conceded this point. My life's good. Julie, apart from being magnificently gorgeous, is something of an internet addict. My plan after leaving Bangkok was to wait a couple of weeks before checking in again. One day in Tanarada, Julie wanted to check her email briefly, and I reluctantly decided to sit down and check mine too. And this is where things get a bit interesting. I got a message from Betty Yu, my ex-roommate, hereafter Colin, my ex-roommate's girlfriend. I also got a strange message with the subject letter, do you like sexy girls, but I ignored that email. Betty and Colin had plans to go to Taiwan to visit her family. They decided to call my bluff and test my people-oriented travel philosophy, which I talked about in my last update. Would I like to come to Taiwan and meet them? The wheels started turning. I hadn't seen them in three and a half years when I left for Japan and they left for New York. It would be great to see them, and also a great opportunity to see Taiwan, what with the inside connections and all. But more than actually seeing Betty and Colin, I like the idea of just popping over to Taiwan to meet someone. I'm imagining a telephone conversation, something like this, in affected, pretentious accents, of course. But Taiwan's not exactly on my route, and it would take some doing. Plus, I really enjoyed traveling with Julie, and she'd even invited me to continue on to Indonesia with her. It wasn't an easy decision to make. You know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Even birthday cake. In the end, it was a zero-hour deal which brought everything together on the Malaysian island of Penang. For reasons I don't quite understand, Penang is a major center for cheap airline tickets. It also has a lot of rats, but again, that's a different story. And since after a few days in Kuala Lumpur, Julie and I were going to be in Penang anyways, that's where the final decision would be made. The night we arrived, it was late, so the shops were closed. The next day was a Sunday, and again, nothing seemed to be open. So Sunday evening, I went to sleep, knowing the next day things would be sorted out. It wasn't a restful sleep, however, as moments before my eyes shut, I did the math and realized that Betty and Colin's flight to Taiwan could be leaving at any moment. They were waiting for me to let them know if I would be able to make it, and I was waiting for the shops to open, oblivious of the date and time. The next morning, I was out on the street looking for an open travel agent and an open internet cafe, both things taking a while on this sleepy Monday morning. I found a ticket for a reasonable price, but that would be useless if I couldn't contact Colin. Run to a computer. Email to Colin. Then send a desperate email plea for help from people who may know Colin's number or his parents. To be so close to making it all work, I wasn't about to give up easily and was even figuring if they had already left, perhaps I could get contact information from his parents. I was considering my options and about to log off when I got a message from Colin. We'd connected. It was actually only a few hours before they were about to leave, and well, a few days later, we were all together in Taiwan. For this point, I have to give a big thanks to Dan Pachotto. For reasons he can't explain, Dan decided to check his email at a time he never checks his mail, read my plea for help, called Colin, and gets major props for the assist. Thanks, Dan. The following adventures couldn't have happened without you. I was able to spend a few more days with Julie before bidding a teary-eyed farewell. The tears were all mine. She could hardly contain her smile at finally getting rid of me. She on a boat to Indonesia, me on a plane to Taiwan. Chinese culture is not something so foreign to me. After all, I've spent time in Chinatowns all over the world. That's a joke, people. 
But it was my first time to a proper Chinese country, and I was lucky enough to tag along on the Betty Yu Roots Tour, visiting Betty's friends and stomping grounds from her childhood. The Chinese New Year means lots of family and lots of food. I don't think a day went by where I didn't meet yet another cousin or eat far more food than my body wanted. Don't get me wrong, the food was delicious. I met her grandparents, cousins, sisters, nieces, nephews, parents, and even spent the night in her brother-in-law's home, a man who made his millions racing pigeons. That's not a joke, people. Apparently, Colin and I are the only people in the world to have met so many of her relations. I lost count after 50. We visited temples, night markets, Betty's old kindergarten, and some historic street with the intriguing in idea, yet in the event disappointing name, Touch Breast Street. And one day, when it was felt our sightseeing saturation point had been met, after a flurry of faxes and phone calls by Betty's mother, we ended up spending an afternoon getting massages. Colin and I were a little fuzzy on how that decision was reached, but we certainly didn't complain. While Colin did a bit, there was bruising. But no Chinese New Year can pass without some serious mahjong. And play we did. Colin and I were first-timers, but Betty's family was eager to teach us. We learned the basics, the terminology, and with a lot of coaching, began to play. After a bit, Betty's cousin told us we would never really learn how to play unless we played for money. Suddenly, it all made sense. The friendly invitation, the lure of free food, accommodation, and tour guides to come to Taiwan, all part of a clever ruse by Betty's family to hustle the unsuspecting white boys out of their money. Colin and I were to be the suckers. Well, this sucker wasn't going to be having any of it. And it was this sucker who was laughing the loudest as I left the table that night, the winner. And two days later, in a different town with different players, with Betty's childhood friends suggesting we play a game in hopes of reversing their losing streak, it was this sucker who walked away with the biggest winnings. No when to walk away, no when to run. Also Kenny Rogers. That's right. Don't mess with this sucker. I really need to stop calling myself a sucker. Eventually, the week was up and time for me to return to my life on the road and continue my Southeast Asian adventures. It was great to catch up with Colin and Betty, and I've secured a space on their floor. What, I'm not good enough for the couch? When I'm back in the States, homeless, jobless, and looking for some mahjong action to get me through the week. And now, well, I'm in Singapore, where I needed to deal with some passport issues, getting new pages, and fixing the lamination which was coming off. At the embassy, I suggested duct tape, but they weren't having any of it. It is interesting to note that the new U.S. Embassy was dedicated here in 1997 by William Jefferson Clinton. Interesting, that is, if you like U.S. Embassy trivia, or, like me, you have a map which predates 1997 and has the old embassy marked several kilometers away from its current site. Tomorrow? Well, catching a boat to Indonesia to catch up with Julie, who is, say it with me, people, beautiful. Pop over to Taiwan to see some friends, back down to Indonesia to continue traveling with the girl, I guess sometimes you can have your cake and eat it too. More from the road, J. Ain't no sucker, Schneider. P.S. I was almost certain March would be my return month, but my money's been going a lot farther than expected, thanks to my Mahjong winnings. So while it's still a possibility, the smart bet is on April. I'll give 30 days notice. Up to this point in my trip, I basically had traveled solo. Yes, I met people and we may spend an afternoon or a few days together, or 
sometimes even sharing rooms or doing activities. And of course, Bert and I spent five weeks together in our volunteer project and then trekking and rafting. But this was the first time I was really traveling with somebody on an open-ended adventure. Before Julie and I decided to go to Malaysia, neither of us had any idea as to the direction we would go. And, and even as we headed south, there was no strict itinerary. So this was the first time on the trip where I entered into a partnership where we would be going into the unknown, facing it together, and making decisions about, well, what to do. Though I was looking forward to traveling with Julie, I was a little concerned about my loss of independence and just fending for myself. But I got over that pretty quickly. Suddenly, I had all the partner advantages I didn't have when I had faced so many challenges on my own throughout my travels, particularly in India. Remember in a previous episode when I said that during some of my roughest travel moments, just having had someone else there with me would have made the situation a bit better? Well, this travel wasn't rough travel at all. It was pretty good travel, but having Julie with me made it even better. There are a lot of logistical benefits, certainly. As I mentioned, it was so easy when arriving in a strange new place to have one of us sit and watch the bags while the other could run around freely checking out places to stay or when needing to push through crowds and figure out which bus and train tickets would work for our next leg, it was nice to do so without the burden of all my belongings, and on travel days, this usually meant sporting the double pack mode, full pack on my back, day pack on my front, doubling the total space of any area I occupied. Negotiations with others worked out a lot better as well, as you were able to play good cop, bad cop, and it was a lot easier to share the burden of decision-making, assessing new areas, keeping senses open for scams, and trying to decide what to do. And it was nice to have company on the long train and bus rides. Julie and I were still getting to know each other. Whether we talked about our recent travels or our entire lives up to that point, we had loads to talk about. Side note, if you've been following along closely, you may have picked up in earlier episodes that I had a bad run of not staying in touch with people over the years. The one benefit I've found in having done that As I've started to reconnect with people from my past, it's a ton of fun when you have 20 years of life to catch up on. It's really easy to make your life sound like a fascinating non-stop adventure when you can cherry-pick the highlights over a couple of decades. You know, I can tell you about that weekend I partied with the Jay Giles band and skip all the weekends where I just watched 27 hours of old Chips episodes on TV. But I'm getting off track. Traveling with Julie was a delight. And I enjoyed Malaysia. In my email, I didn't get into too much detail about all the places we went, but whether it was running around Kuala Lumpur, KL as the cool kids say, exploring the hills and jungles of the highlands, lounging on the beautiful beaches with the locals, eating more than our fair share of chicken satay and peanut sauce, well, I enjoyed my time in Malaysia and I look forward to returning. Note, we did go to the Petronas Towers, at the time the tallest buildings in the world, But they lost that title in 2004 to Taipei 101, and well, I guess the title of tallest building in the world is always at risk. Watch out, Burj Khalifa. The Jeddah Tower is coming for you. In my email, I mentioned a British guy named Dom. He was staying at Mr. Lee's guest house in Tanarada. He was looking to change direction in his life and felt that he wanted to get into digital graphic design. This was 2001, and he was trying to ride the digital and web wave. At the time, Julie was in the information technology field as well, so this gave us a lot to chat about. Anyway, here's what I loved about Dom's plan for life transition. Rather than sit around back at his home in England and learn computers and software and whatever it was he felt would prepare him for his future career, he decided to hit the road, settling in Malaysia, where he bought a computer, some books, and he spent hours a day studying and learning. 
For him, getting away to a place where he could really commit and focus on learning was an absolute must, and doing so in a low cost of living country made economic sense. And Malaysia is a beautiful country, with wonderful people, delicious food, so yeah, it was a, a brilliant strategy for life reinvention. He'd have leisurely mornings, do some studying, take a break, go on hikes, do some more learning, walk down the road to pick up some satay and maybe a cheap pirated video CD to watch that night, and, and then do some more work. It's really a great strategy for personal reinvention. One afternoon, when Julie and I returned to the guest house after a hike in the hills, we saw Dom with a panicked and flustered look on his face. When we asked him what was wrong, he said he looked at his passport and realized he had overstayed his visa. I guess that's the downside of living a relaxed life in paradise where time doesn't matter. It conflicts with timelines and deadlines that do matter. So Dom was frantically trying to pack a bag and make a run for the border. His plan was to catch a bus to Thailand and then, after a day or two, cross back in. Since Julie and I were planning to head to the island of Penang, we suggested Dom come meet up with us there on his way back. Unfortunately, when Julie and I were in Penang, though we checked our emails for messages from Dom and also sent him notes letting him know where we were staying, we never did hear from him. But Penang was also where I secured my ticket to Taiwan. I realized that when I was traveling, I had the benefit of technology and some comforts that generations of travelers before me had never had, just as traveling today is an entirely different experience because of the available technology. I had the benefit of internet cafes, where in years prior there was just airmail, postcards, and in case of emergencies, expensive long-distance phone calls. Yes, I can hear the voices of our adventurous ancestors. You had airmail and phones? Back in my day, we put letters on a boat and it took seven months to deliver. Oh, you had boats? Back in my day, you just ventured off and might never come back. And on and on, it's a slippery slope. But back to my time. In those days, not all places had internet access, or in some of the places that did, it could be painfully slow and unreliable. But still, because of the technology of the day, I was able to communicate with friends and family. On two occasions, I even placed internet phone calls to my mom and to my dad even though the delay made it sound more like a walkie-talkie transmission. Anyway, coordinating to meet up with my friends was at once incredible and also frustrating. The fact that the technology was even available, that it even existed, it made the trip possible. There would not have been any realistic way for Betty to have reached out to me, if not for the existence of email. But the fact that at that time, email was not necessarily the on-demand, instantaneous form of communication that it can be today, I mean, today, this would hardly have been an issue. Betty would have called me or sent a text or a WhatsApp. It wouldn't have mattered where in the world either of us were, and I could probably have then immediately purchased a ticket right there on the phone, and everything would have been set. But at that time, there was no guarantee of timely communication. As I mentioned in my email, by the time I had arrived in Penang, I suddenly realized that with the time difference and the flight time, and given the dates of their trip, they may already have been on their way. I thought I may have missed my window of communication. I remember early in the morning roaming the streets in Malaysia, waiting for the first travel agency to open up, and once they did, see which tickets were available. I found one and momentarily was crushed when I saw the impossible cost of the ticket, only to realize the price was in ringgit, not dollars. Eh, it was a very reasonable ticket indeed. So I could get a ticket, but at this point, I had not communicated with Betty and Colin in days. So of course, I ran to an internet cafe to send an email, but I had no idea when or if they would even check. There were no smartphone notifications, and people didn't yet live tethered to portable devices, so while it wouldn't be surprising that Colin, 
a web and graphic designer would be sitting at his computer at any given time of the day, it would also have been equally reasonable that he would be away from his computer for hours at a time or many days or weeks in the case if he was already on his way to Taiwan. So I sat in the internet cafe for about 10 to 15 minutes, seriously considering all my options. Would it be so crazy just to buy a ticket and show up in a country not having any contact information? I mean, that would be ridiculous then, but I was seriously considering. Again, today, this would actually be quite reasonable. Show up, do a check-in on social media, see who's in the country. Anyway, I was so close to making all of this happen, and I just didn't want to let go. I couldn't give up. I sent out a plea for help to any of Colin's friends, contact his parents, and they could have contact information. Remember back in the Stone Ages when people would travel and they would give people back home the phone numbers at places they were staying? Yeah, back when phones were attached to physical locations and not attached to people. Anyway, as I mentioned in my email, as I was about to walk away and give up, I got a response from Colin. A mutual friend, Dan Pachotto, saw my plea for help, called Colin, and told him to check his email, and well, it happened. And this was a mere three hours before Colin and Betty were about to head to Taiwan. The fact that we were able to meet up was very much because of the email technology of the times. Without it, it would not have happened. Yet the email of those times was nothing like the communication technologies of today. Just as I look back to life, not just before mobile phones, but even before answering machines, sometimes you just call someone, they didn't answer, and that was that. Could be days or weeks or months before you ever connected. In previous episodes, for example, episode 7, check it out. I talked a lot about the magic of unexpectedly running into people, bumping into friends in Bangkok or in Kathmandu, but I think back to the serendipity or synchronicity of how I got to Taiwan. In my travels, I often went through stretches without internet, sometimes because none was available, other times by choice. In Tanarata, I had decided I didn't really need to send or receive emails for a couple of weeks. Yet when Julie said she needed to check something, impulsively I decided to go as well, and that's when I got Betty's email. When I sent out that email for help, Dan saw it, but this was not his normal habit to check email at that time, but somehow he did. And without that, well, again, the JLUC club may never have happened. So what does all this mean? Well, I guess some of you in the present times can feel justified that you check your phone and social media messages every two seconds because I've just proven that if you don't, you may miss out on amazing opportunities. But I'd rather take the view that it's just really cool when the stars align and these moments of synchronicity present themselves. All that aside, I should probably talk about my time in Taiwan. As you know well, dear members, to tell my story, I rely on emails, my journal notes, and my memory. Though I realize memories can be faulty, fuzzy, incomplete, or can even be invented and recreated over the years, you also know I pride myself on accuracy and integrity when I tell my story. I have some vivid memories which I will swear with 100% certainty as being true. I can see it, no, feel it, as if I were still in those moments. And I've told you I even fact-check and cross-reference with multiple sources to give you as accurate of an account as possible because you, dear listeners, deserve nothing less. So I do not mean to tease you or lead you on or leave you unfulfilled, but the rest of this story, specifically my time in Taiwan, is going to have to wait until part two. Why? Because, dear members of the JLUC Club, not only do I read you emails and provide personal journal entries as evidence, from time to time, I call witnesses to the stand. You remember Chuck from episode 14, Rambo and Room Service? You remember Justin and Dan from, well, actually their voices have appeared in many episodes. 
Well, once again, I have eyewitnesses. I have eye, ear, nose, and throat witnesses to call to the stand, and I cannot and will not tell my terrific tales of Taiwan without Colin and Betty. Stay tuned for part two of The J-Luck Club. Okay, look, no, 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 don't, don't be like that. I clearly titled this part one, so don't act all surprised that there's a second part. This was not a surprise. Come on, pay attention. You can't have a part one without a part two. You knew this was coming. No, no, seriously, I'm, okay, no, okay, okay, fine. How about this? I'll leave you with this. A bit of a consolation story. Remember Dom? the guy who was going to meet Julie and I in Penang? Yeah, we checked our emails, we let him know where we're going, but we never heard from him. We were really disappointed and kind of put off that a guy who we really got on well with would just blow us off like that. Well, many weeks later, we finally did hear from him. Fun fact, guess what happens when you overstay your visa? You spend some time in a Malaysian jail. Thank you for listening to what is just part one of the J-Luck Club email. So tune in next time to hear my conversation with the guy who was my roommate of many years and the girl who stole him from me. Don't forget to check out honeyroastedtshirts.com for pictures, the emails, and other bits. Honey Roasted T-shirts. They don't make T-shirts, but if they did, they'd be honey roasted. You can also get previous episodes there or at the thejluckclubpodcast.com. But the easiest way for you to get every episode automatically delivered to your listening device is by subscribing. You can do so at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you listen to this podcast, or if you've read the emails or visited the blog, or maybe you've heard me tell the story about that time I watched 27 episodes of Chips over... Oh, no. Um, or maybe you heard me tell that story about the time I hung out with Jay Giles, the Presidents of the United States of America, Buzz Aldrin, and Miss Wheelchair USA. Well, you just might be a member of... The J Luck Club. Thank you for staying tuned to Journal Extras. January 9th, Bangkok. Walk to Chinatown and go our separate ways. Julie's got things to buy, I've got things to sell, like my travel guides. Do all the stuff I gotta do, we meet, taxi to the station, acquire some provisions, we're on the train. This is definitely not Indian train travel. Hit the border, get off the train with all our stuff, check out of Thailand, check into Malaysia, get back on the train with all our stuff. Couple more hours to Butterworth. 
At the bus station, I watch the bags. Julie runs around to figure things out. It's so good to be traveling with someone. January 11th. Sleep, sleep, sleep. Wake up. Check watch. 11.45. Whoa, how did that happen? Stroll into town. Change money. Eat. Julie wants to check some email. And even though I don't really, I do just for the heck of it. And bam! I get an email from Betty Yu. She and Colin will be in Taiwan January 23rd through February 3rd. Do I want to come? Hmm. Something to consider. Dom and Julie ditch me, which throws me for a loop at first, and then I do some math. Tomorrow's my birthday. They're scheming and plotting. In spite of light rain, we build a campfire and hang out. Our friend Gil plays away on guitar. He's a cool dude. Receive an email from Dan and Justin. I take out my upper earring. January 14th. Happy birthday to me. Julie makes me stay in bed until the tea is ready. Then, after tea, I am escorted to my birthday throne. I have breakfast. We have chocolate cake. Where'd they find a chocolate cake? The Dutch couple, Dom, Julie, Gil, they all sing. January 16th. Dom discovers his visa has expired and he has to leave the country ASAP. We all discuss his options for the quickest way to the border and how we can meet up again. I'll let you know how it turns out. Still figuring out my Taiwan thing. Penang is supposed to be a good place for discount plane tickets, but Julie keeps hoping I'll keep coming with her to Indonesia. Hmm, I'll figure it out. January 20th. Arrive in Penang at 7.30 p.m. Dump bags. Julie watches them. I go find the Wan Hai guest house. Big rooms. Cheap. Ooh, Wan Hai guest house. Zip flash zip. Check it out. Go to Blue Diamond Restaurant. There's no Dom. Eat food. No Dom. Check. Send email. Still no Dom. Hmm, that's weird. January 22nd. The ticket deal. 8 a.m. Alarm. I'm up. I'm out. I need internet. Nothing open. But looks like shops will open today. Mind racing. 10 a.m. I try again. Internet still closed. Dive into ticket agent. 1,076. Oh, no. Oh, that's Ringgit. Okay, that's like a couple hundred bucks. I can do that. Rush out to internet. Email to Colin Betty. Contact me, please, please. Email to Dan Jake Alex. I need Colin's number or his parents' number. Email to Chuck. Chuck, can you call up directory assistance? I need numbers. I'm about to log off. Colin responds. They leave in three hours. Change money. Go to agent. Ticket in hand. Email details. The deed is done. I'll go to Taiwan on the 25th. Good. I break the news to Julie. I'm going to Taiwan. She'd still like us to meet up in Indonesia. Sounds good to me. January 23rd. Still no Dom. January 25th. Goodbye, Malaysia. Up early to escort Julie to her Medan-based boat. We part, but plan to meet up in a week. Back to the ranch. Grab stuff. Wait for bus. 45 long minutes. At the airport check-in, I unzip my fly instead of my money belt. I don't think anyone noticed. Good thing I didn't pull out my passport. Wait to board plane for Taiwan. That was it, people. Zip flash zip. That was it. The Wanhai guest house. My trip to the Malaysian airport. My unzipping of the pants. It starts all here. Oh, come on, people. It's all coming together. <sighs> Thank you for staying tuned to Journal Extras. None of this will be on the exam. <laughs>